Amen. And why don't you, before you take your seats, just take a moment, look to someone around you. Just take a moment to appreciate something about them, like that they're looking fresh or they've come well-dressed today or they're looking happy or, you know, just give them a little bit of encouragement today. Got a little bit uncomfortable with that, but some of you seem to enjoy yourselves. Amen. It's always oh, thank you very much, Francois. I appreciate that, brother. It's always good to uh, take a moment to appreciate something about what God has done in someone else's life, and just those few words of affirmation can turn someone's life, someone's day around, even someone's life around. You know, sometimes people are walking around and they're so focused and in on the situation that's going on in their life that, you know, it's just building and building and the negativity surrounding that is just becoming so big. But yet to have someone come along and share something encouraging takes your focus off what's happening right here and maybe causes you to see something bigger that's going on around you and helps you change your perspective. And encouragement can often do that. Encouragement is something that can bring us to a place where we see life from a different perspective. So today we're going to be looking at this idea of speaking words of life. And it's uh, over the course of this series so far, we've been looking at the idea of taking responsibility for the words that we speak over ourselves. You know, sometimes we uh, are pretty lax with the language that comes out of our mouth, be it, you know, I'm sick and tired of this. And then you find yourself getting sick and tired and you wonder why that happened. Or the different situations, I can never do this, I would not achieve at this, I'm not gifted in this area. And we begin to limit the possibilities of God in our life. Then there's the opportunities that we have to deal with the effects of other people's negative words that have been spoken over our lives. And it's really important that if you know that there is a word over your life that has been defining you, has been limiting you, maybe from a a young age, you know, that you're never going to be any good at this, or you're never going to get a job that's going to go anywhere, or that you're ugly or whatever it might be, that someone has spoken into your life that's not necessarily true. Most of the times it's not true. It's their perception. Those words need to be broken off of your life so that you can step free to where Jesus is calling you to go. Amen? And so today, we're going to take things from a different perspective and see about releasing in you the ability to speak positive words over the people around you, to become an encourager. It's just the way that God does things, but he's made this world and us human beings to need love and to need affirmation of identity as a means of us growing in our characters and living a life of the full potential that God has prepared for us. But the problem is, is we live in a world which lacks love and affirmation as a core value for development. Rather, the world practices performance and accolade. If you do this well enough, then we are going to appreciate you for it. Rather than understanding that love and affirmation of character are what really enables someone to become effective in life. And so because performance and accolade are the things which drives people's um, abilities or identity, they are constantly moved and motivated to look for a form of love, a form of affirmation within this idea of performance, wherever they can. But the problem is when you start to chase value in your capacities, you start to chase value in your ability to get things done. Something that I struggle with is that I can get things done. I can get a lot of things done. But then it gets to a point where you're like, well, if I don't get this extra thing done, is that a compromise on my self-perception? And so it's something that I'm, 
I'm looking at in my own life, as well as sharing about it today. But you see, if you are driven by performance, if you are driven to find love or affirmation in some form, you can make massive compromises to your character, to your person, and sometimes to the dreams that you have for your life. I'm going to explain what I mean with a, a simple illustration. Because the world does not teach us to seek genuine love and to seek genuine affirmation. Rather, it teaches us to see things differently. I was having a conversation with a couple of couples just a few weeks ago, and they're, a long, they're both long-term couples, and they're both living together, non-Christians. And the women were complaining that the men had not yet proposed. And they'd been together a number of years, two years in one case, something like four or five years in the other case. And I didn't want to get into it too strong. I didn't want to hit them too hard over the head. But I made the point, ladies, you need to add a little motivation. If you give the man the benefits of married life without requiring the commitment of married life, don't be surprised if they take it for free. And you know what they replied? Benefits. Are there financial benefits in the UK to have kids and have a relationship? And my jaw dropped. I was like, are you serious? I meant something else. I think you all know what I meant, right? But they assumed immediately the idea of benefits was financial gain. And I want to suggest to you that these couples, they're my friends, I love them dearly, but they've compromised the full potential of their relationship, which would end in marriage, in exchange for a current peace, stability, and level of commitment by having a live-in relationship. And the issue is the fact that they're not truly happy is beginning to shine through. They've made so many commitments physically, emotionally, spiritually to be living together, and yet they're not getting in return from the man what they are desiring genuinely. And so true happiness is not at the core of that relationship. See, the problem with living together is it's not true commitment. It's a financially preferable lifestyle choice. You only pay one rent instead of paying two rents. Sometimes people say, you know, uh, we, we're just going to move in together so we can figure out if we are going to be, uh, how life is going to be when we do get married. But the problem with that is living together becomes an insulator against marriage. The real problem behind that simple illustration that we can all relate to is this. is at the core, at the base there is this idea of where do we get our emotional support from? Where do we get our character development from? Are we going for God's best? Or are we compromising? Are we falling short of true emotional fulfillment or true life fulfillment for a current level of peace and acceptance which we are ready to compromise with? If we're called to be the salt and light of the world, my Christian brothers and sisters, we need to make a conscious effort to not just speak against um, lifestyle decisions which ultimately lead to sorrow and sadness, but to actually become encouragers, to actually become people that affirm the good, that help people put off the good or that, that which they've settled for in exchange for God's best for their life. Now, when we look at encouragement and affirmation, it covers such a huge scope. So hopefully you'll pick up something that is relevant to you and relevant to the way that you're able to encourage. Because we find that it's all down to different people's needs. Some people have different love languages, they have different motivations. Some are inspired by certain modes of address, while other people are inspired by actions or uh, activities that you do on their behalf. But today we want to look at some of the core principles which focus on becoming an effective encourager.
Now, we also understand that the counterbalance sometimes that we need to build healthy people is the idea of encouragement counterbalanced with correction. And correction is something that we're going to look at in a different context, maybe in another series in the future. But today, we really want to focus on the idea of encouragement because we really need to see a generation of encouragers rise up. It's not enough that we stay silent when right in front of us, somebody is dying. They're thirsting. They're crying out for just a little bit of love, a little bit of affirmation, a little bit of encouragement, and yet we keep quiet. When just those few words would breathe life, would breathe um, capacity, would enable someone to step forward into who God is calling them to be. So we're moving more from just learning to stop the negative words which so easily flow from our mouth to actually becoming people that easily bring encouragement, bring affirmation, build somebody up. So we're going to look at today four major areas. What true affirmation is, unpacking the reasons why we might not encourage somebody, how do we become people of encouragement, and the consequences of that encouragement. If you were to think about the idea of feedback, if you were to think about the idea of giving someone a, a comment concerning their current performance or their current disposition, you'd probably come across three words. One is criticism, constructive criticism, perhaps. And that's essentially where you're identifying somebody's shortcomings and giving them uh, perhaps a view on development opportunities uh, for the future. But the problem with constructive criticism is if it's not framed right, even though it is intended to be positive, can bring about a negative reaction in people. You then have something known as praise. Praise is the idea that when somebody has just achieved something, you give them recognition for it. You know, you, you've just been one of the hardest workers in the company this last month. We want to recognize that, ability, uh, that, that achievement, and so we're going to praise you. You're going to get a nice plaque on the wall. Uh, we're going to appreciate you in the staff meeting. It's going to be fantastic. But that's a recognition of things that have gone in the past. Then you have encouragement. And encouragement is to use your current achievement to affirm what you can become. So it's not just recognizing the past, it's enabling the future. It's about releasing potential in somebody's life. At the core of this idea of true affirmation is identity. It's one of those verses that touches every single person. It's a message right from the heart of God to each and every single one of you, found in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future, and to give you a hope. And the reason that that verse connects with so many people the world over is this. It's because it's your creator, the one who made you, who knows you better than anybody else, is speaking the truth of, over your life. He's speaking his truth over your life, which overrides every other truth. He's calling out in you who he's created you to be. This issue of identity is, is fundamental. We cover it a lot in the service, but we want to make sure that you understand that God is affirming your identity. He believes in who he's created you to be. I was involved in a discussion with some non-Christian friends just the other day, and I was just so interested in the wisdom that they had, and I wanted to just hear and listen to the perspectives they had. There are a couple of teachers. They um, are working out in the world. They work in different school environments, and they've had many, many different encounters with various different children over the years. And we came to an understanding that the common denominator for all kids who eventually become adults like us 
when they come to receive, when it comes to how they receive affirmation and encouragement, it rested upon their sense of identity. See, the unifying factor in someone not being able to receive affirmation and encouragement in their mind, non-Christians, was somebody who came from a broken home and did not have a strong sense of identity. We know that some people, they just have this strong intrinsic sense of identity and a drive to become somebody, which when other people come along and encourage and affirm, they're like, yeah, I already know that. Thank you. But it's, it's telling them something that is already existent on the inside. They already desire to become somebody. Then you have some people who need other people to constantly affirm their identity, to remind them of who they are. Um, they almost need other people to define their identity. Tell me what I'm good at. Tell me what I'm strong at. It's not that they come up to you and actually say, hey, tell me what I'm good at, tell me what I'm strong at. But when you speak into their life and say, hey, you know what, you were just amazing in that situation. You were, you were faithful. You know, you could have been uh, off um, doing whatever you had to do, but you kept to the commitment that you'd made to us meeting up or whatever. Recognizing that, wow, there's a big smile on their face now. Because they've, they've received affirmation. They've, not, they've understood that you've thought about them and spoken and appreciate about something that's in their life. Then you have others who just have no real sense of identity. And so when you come to affirm and encourage them, it simply just washes over. Where the family doesn't instill a sense of value, that you are loved for who you are, not for what you do, through active love, you often find that the key motivator for identity development becomes performance. If you get the A grade, if you join the swimming team and win, if you join the rugby team or the football team or the tennis club or you go out rollerblading and do really well at that, whatever it might be, if you do that really well, then I'm going to give you some applause. Then I'm going to value you. Then I'm going to make you a person of value. True affirmation, true encouragement is that which identifies and releases your God-given identity through love. One that always inspires me, many will read Timothy and see all of the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy. This is what an elder needs to look like. This is how you need to behave. This is how you need to build a church and how the church needs to be organized. All of these clear instructions. And yet we forget this one tiny verse right at the start. Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, and it also occurs in 2 Timothy 1. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Before Paul said anything else about how he had to run things, he said, Timothy, you are a true son. And Timothy understood what that was. It overflowed into the way that he lived life. It's why Paul was able to say, I have nobody like Timothy who carries the same heart, who carries the same vision, who carries the same ethic when it comes to the body of Christ. We all need to get that sense of being a true son of God, a true daughter of God ourselves in order to flow in the sense of encouragement and what encouragement actually begins to release in our lives. And I know some of you are probably thinking I'm sounding a bit soft. It's not really Gabriel that's always too encouraging. But, you know, because I often will tell the guys, listen, you need to fix up, you need to man up. And oftentimes, we, you know, we think of that as a as something that, which is, you know, puts backbone in people, you know, sorts them out. 
But we all need encouragement. We all need affirmation. Sometimes we need the corrective word of you need to fix up, but sometimes we also need the encouragement which just breathes life and lets us know we're not on our own, lets us know we're not facing this in our own strength. Even Jesus. And if Jesus needs affirmation, how much more do we do? But Jesus needed the affirmation of his identity. There's the famous baptism scene where when he comes to be baptized by John, the heavens open and they see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wasn't this is my beloved Son who's doing what I want him to do? Jesus had done nothing up until that point in time. He just lived in his father's house, served his father. He'd not done the miracles. He'd not gone around healing the sick. He'd not gone around preaching the gospel. It wasn't God saying, Ah, Jesus, you have performed well up until this point in time, my son, and now you are worthy of the true ministry. Let me bestow the Holy Spirit upon you. It was simply, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus moved from that place of assurance of his identity. Again, we see his transfiguration in Matthew 17, verse 1 through 8. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, leads them high up a mountain by themselves, and he's transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's two powerful encounters where Jesus' identity is affirmed by the voice of the Father himself. I wonder if any of you have been baptized. I wonder if any of you have received the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you know what that is God saying over you? That you're a beloved son and daughter of God. It says that when the Spirit comes upon you, you cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. That is the spirit of sonship right there. I wonder if any of you have a hope that one day, and it's a sure and certain hope, one day we're going to be raised into our resurrection bodies that are going to look like Jesus did that are going to be glorious like Jesus was. And here, the affirmation of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You ever thought that at both points, the love of the Father was unchanged, but there was a change which happened in us. The change that happened in Jesus from a, being a man anointed by the Spirit to being this man transfigured in glory is the same tra- change that's happening in us, that we have received the Spirit and He is transforming us day by day into the glory that is in Christ. And one day we will see Christ and we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. At both points, the Father loves us. But his love enables transformation to be who Jesus genuinely is calling us to be. We spend a lot of time in this idea of uh, identity, so I want to move on and really look at how we can become an encourager. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. 
The three ways that the Lord speaks to us, personally during prayer, through the word when you're reading the word, and then through the brothers and sisters that he's placed around you. What he speaks to you personally will never contradict what he's spoken to you in the word. What he speaks to you through your brothers and sisters will also never be contrary to the word of God. But if you choose to ignore your brothers and sisters, you cut off a third of the way that the Lord wants to speak to you. It says here that the place where God has designed, has ordained, that we would have our full potential released is in the body of Christ. It's here when we begin to have relationship with one another, when we begin to identify and speak out and recognize the gifts that God has placed in people. And that way you begin to flow and step up into the full level of potential available for you. You cannot do it on your own. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that many of us will know. A man that is on his own can be defeated. But if he has a friend, they can help each other up. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. And this, uh, this often preached this idea that the threefold cord is the friendship, one, and the other friend, two, and then the Holy Spirit, three. And when you are intertwined and thinking and praying for your friend or even your, the person that you're in a relationship with, when they're down, you lift them up. But if they're left on their own, they don't have anyone that's with them, they don't have anyone praying for them, they're going to stay down. Don't be surprised if you isolate yourself that it takes you months to get back up. Don't be surprised if you, if you keep fellowship with the church that you get over things very quickly. Because you have people that are encouraging you in the midst of the difficult situations you're going through. We're going to come back to that verse a couple of times again. But Jesus actually spoke many times into this area of how we begin to encourage one another. I'm sure some of you will have thought this. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm, I only want to praise God. I'm not going to praise anybody else. God's the only one worthy of praise. God's the one only worthy of honor. So you, you other Christians, you know what? You're just going to have to make do. Make do with my sour face. I'm not going to smile at you. You know, if you do bad, I'm probably going to come and tell you you do bad. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought how unlike God that is? In John 15, verse 5, it says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The clear implication is this. You are who you are today because of the work of Jesus in your life. The person in front of you today is who they are because of the work of Jesus in their life. He has shown us the love of the Father, and it is in connection to him that we are accomplishing what the Father has given us to do. Being fruitful brings him glory. So to actually affirm what God is doing in somebody's life is to recognize what God is doing and give him the glory, but enable the person also to step further into the release of their potential. By giving someone pers that person praise, and even more than that, encouragement, you're releasing them more fully into the person Christ is calling them to be, which ultimately means that God gets more glory. If you genuinely want to be someone that only praises God, affirm the work that he's doing in the people around you. Speak words of life over those people. See, I've never known somebody who used that statement, I only want to speak, uh, I only want to praise God, who's used it without thinking of a way to justify withholding love. People only say that 
when they don't want to love somebody. It's not that they're you know, genuinely being honest and saying, I only want to praise God. It's, they're looking at somebody and saying, I actually don't see anything in you that I want to appreciate. You do that better than me. You do that better than me. Um, you know, I don't want to give you too big a head, so I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to withhold my love from you. Instead of considering that by recognizing the glory that is in somebody, you're glorifying God. Who do you think gave you the glory in the first place? If you're listening to Lyndon Barron this morning, he said that we've, uh, he read a scripture that says that he made us a little lower the, than the angels and he's crowned us with glory. Does God want a load of sniveling worms as his body when he comes back? Does he want to come back and find a load of people like, I didn't know who I was and I'm a filthy worm anyway and I deserve for people to stand all over me? Or does he want to come back to somebody, some people who know who they are, to a pure and spotless bride who's not been tarnished by the world? See, if you don't know who you are, you let the world tarnish you. But if you know who you are, you walk in the wholeness and the purity that God has prepared for you. Sometimes you might say this. That person is just praise hungry. Look at them. They're just going for all the attention. They're going around looking for somebody to give them some praise. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Guys, you aren't looking at me yet. Hey, please look at me. Please, please. Every, no, seriously. No, no, no. Everybody. Every, 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 please, everybody. Everybody. Okay, now I have your attention. The way of life that they live, the way of life that they present, you just look at them and you think, listen, bro, or listen, sister, I'm not going to give you any affirmation because you're just going to lap it up like you think you deserve it. And that behavior, you don't deserve it. Remember the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There's two aspects in operation when you see somebody that is seeking attention. It's not that they're seeking affirmation or encouragement. They're seeking attention. The one thing is you're being limited if you refuse to speak something into that situation? Are you going to let somebody else and their character weakness limit the person of encouragement that you're going to become? See, if you let somebody determine whether you're going to bless them by the way they behave, then you are limited in your capacity to become an encourager. I'm only going to encourage you if you look like you're going to receive it right. Can I check your heart, please? Can I check that you've got the right motivation? Can I check that nobody else is around because I don't want anybody else to hear this in case you kind of get a big head because they heard about my compliment I gave to you? And also, can I also just check that in a week's time, you're not going to be running around telling everybody, hey, you know, so-and-so said this to me. I just need to check all that before I give you some affirmation. If you allow them to limit your capacity to affirm and to be an encourager, then you're not being free. That scripture that I read earlier, it says that we are called to stir up love and good works when we consider one another. If we're not able to stir up love and good works, then we are not doing what Jesus has asked us to do. So that's us. But then there's the person who is seeking the praise. And the issue is, it's up to them to get the attitude right, not you. It's up to them to sort out their motivation before God, not you. 
You know, it might be that they're seeking the affirmation because they didn't receive enough as a child. Or it might be that because they've not had a genuine experience of the father's affirmation, they are seeking the second best, which never satisfies the thirst. Oh, so-and-so said I did great today, but that other person, they just looked at me a bit funny, so next I'm going to work on them appreciating me. And now they've appreciated me, but you know, so-and-so before, they now actually don't like the way that I'm dressing. So let me go back and try to figure them out. And we end up constantly fighting a battle to try and get affirmation which is not satisfying. You need the affirmation of the Father. You need the encouragement of the Father. Or in some cases, you might try and say, you know what, that person's just arrogant. They don't need me to be telling them anymore. They actually need someone to chop their feet off and cut them down to size a little bit and, you know, limit them, peg their winds back and, you know, just keep them in cages for a while so that they don't become this big-headed buffoon that goes running around thinking that they're so great. But the issue with arrogance and all of those things is that deep down they're a sonship issue. This verse that um, RT always speaks about, it always challenges me. He says that it's a verse that he sought to be governed by through his life. How can you who believe, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? What he's saying is that we can seek honor and appreciation from our fellow man. And that can become a substitute, a placebo for the honor which comes from God. But the honor from God, which comes from God is the only true honor. So if you're somebody that's constantly seeking affirmation, constantly running around, hey, you know, I just need you to tell me that I did great today, otherwise I'm going to go into a depression for weeks. The worst form of this is when somebody says, I, I just need you to tell me that I love you, otherwise I'm going to take too many pills. And that happens a lot in the world. Because what you're trying to do is make somebody affirm you with an affirmation which is not genuine. There is an affirmation which is genuine, and it's the honor that God gives us. We do need to have a pure heart in that area. Maybe you've heard this one. I've tried giving praise once, but it just wasn't appreciated. So, you know, I'm just not going to give any more encouraging words. At the beginning, I started out with this idea that we live in a world which is starved of encouragement and affirmation. So don't be surprised when you chuck one little bit of water out there and it gets evaporated. But when you start to pour water on different situations, the words of life that are bringing life to people, you see that the ground gets saturated, the soil gets saturated, and then somebody is able to receive that word and able to receive the life that comes from that encouragement and able to respond to it. Always continue in your desire to be an encourager even if it's not appreciated the first time or the hundredth hundredth time. Or maybe you, somebody that says this, I'm always encouraging. I just wish that somebody would take the time to encourage me. A lot of people can relate to that. A lot of people spend their life pouring life into other people and they spend their time thinking about, praying for, texting, phoning, meeting with, going for coffees, helping people move house, all of that stuff, doing everything that we can to be encouragers, and yet nobody ever does the same for us. And yet the issue is, what are we doing it for? Ultimately, we will receive our affirmation from the Father who is in heaven. Ultimately, we will receive the reward from the Father who is in heaven. But in the meantime, why don't you appreciate somebody who's looking out for you? Why don't you take a moment to just say, thank, actually, thank you. You know, sometimes we won't say thank you because we believe that it'll indebt us to somebody. 
you know you're already indebted. If they've served you, if they've helped you out, if they've already done something for you, in a way you're already indebted. To say thank you is to appreciate what they've done. Most likely, they won't ask anything of you again. Just two words. Thank you. What can I do for you next time? Thank you. What can I do for you next time? Thank you. Simple process. Maybe uh, you are another type of a person. I don't like it when people around me are so positive. It happens. You know what? I just hate those Christians because they're just so happy all the time. And it just drives me crazy because I want to be depressed. I want to be down. I don't want no one coming in here messing with my business. I want to have an excuse to be angry at the world. I want to keep this attitude, this chip on my shoulder. And it just really annoys me when you just come in here with that because I know when you're positive, I'm going to have to respond to it. And I know it's going to change me. And if it's going to change me, well, you know, I'm, I'm scared of who that person might become. See, sometimes people don't like to respond to encouragement because they become afraid of the potential for their own failure. You know what? One time somebody believed in me and then I, I got so far and then I messed up and so they kicked me out of the house again. You know, and I'm just not going to try again because, you know, I don't want to fail again. Or maybe some of you are bad at receiving encouragement and affirmation because you've been taught that it's wrong to do so. By being, receiving encouragement and affirmation, you're somehow robbing from the Lord. I made the point earlier that when somebody recognizes the work of God in you, not talking about recognizing your foolish searching after, after attention, I'm talking about recognizing the work of God in your life, that actually brings God glory. But sometimes we've been taught this idea that to receive encouragement is wrong. And it begins to develop into a bad practice of false humility. Hey, you know what, man? I really appreciate the way you, you served today. You know, you really went out of your way, and it just means so much to me. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it wasn't me. It's all Jesus, all Jesus, all Jesus. But inside, there's this process. <laughs> I did well. I did well. And so outside, there's this projection on, you know, I'm the most humble man in all the earth, like Moses. I'm sure you can see it right now. But inside, there's this, oh, you know what? I did really well today. Or you can be somebody that's so taught that it's wrong that you develop an aversion to words of life. And they just go sailing over your head. They just go sailing over your heart. Instead of transforming you, they're just things that you just knock off. I, I can't hear that. I can't hear that. It's almost as if you have a filter on your ears because you're being so taught it's wrong to receive these kind of word that you don't respond to them. It's something that I struggle with a lot. When people come to me and they affirm me for my qualities, I'm just like, I don't know how to take it. Most often, I just shut up. I just sit there, I just wait, I get uncomfortable, and I wait for the person to move on. Do you know what I mean? That's what I do. But it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm facing up to because I found, actually, that if you stop allowing somebody to affirm you in an area, you stop growing in that area. Um, and you just start to develop in other areas where, you're, where you think it's okay to develop in those areas, but the areas where you feel you have to practice humility or false humility, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, you stop achieving the potential that God has prepared for you. There's power in allowing 
somebody to speak a word of affirmation over you. There's power in allowing somebody to recognize and affirm something in you. I had a, an interesting a conversation the other day. Where a friend was talking, and she has a, like a name that most people would consider a guy's name. And so all of her life she's been spoken, you know, when she turns up at the interviews and stuff, um, they think it's a guy that's coming. And then they're like, oh. And so she's always struggled with the idea of this. And one of her best friends sat there and just said, I've always thought your name is an awesome name. And because she'd never understood the dynamic that this girl had a, uh, a struggle with her name, when the other girl, her friend, said, I think you've got an awesome name, this smile broke out all over her face. And suddenly she understood and owned the name and took it. I was like, that's my name. There was a transformation that happened. If you don't let people speak words of encouragement over you, if you don't let people speak into your life, then you prevent your opportunity to grow. You prevent your opportunity to flourish. There's so much power in an encouragement environment. There's so much power in a place where you can begin to speak truthfully and honestly and affirm people's qualities. I actually believe in the long run that you can build constructive, meaningful friendships, even between male and female friendships, where you have a brother and a sister type scenario. Because in that kind of a context... You're actually learning to hear from a member of the opposite sex without it being associated and tagged to the idea of love or lust. And you can allow somebody to speak into your life without actually needing to hear it from them. You understand sometimes people get into relationships and get into uh, dependent relationships because they need to hear what this other person is willing to say to them. And in order to get what that other person is willing to say to them, they're also willing to give them whatever they want. And yet, it's important that we understand that in healthy brother-sister relationships, you can start to affirm your brother or affirm your sister with a view of an opposite sex, which costs nothing, but which brings out life in them. There's so much power when we begin to operate as a church, when we begin to operate as the family that God is calling us to be. We become empowered people. We receive strength and affirmation in the way that we are supposed to from God, from our family, from our friends. So that when it comes to getting into a real relationship, or when it comes to going back to your marriage relationship, you're empowered knowing who you are, not seeking to get into a relationship in order to get something. There's a difference. Have you followed me? hope so. So that's you, attitudes that you would have. But then how do we become an encourager? How do we become somebody that recognizes something in somebody else and pulls it out of them? See, the idea of encouragement is to recognize what God has placed in somebody. And so you need to do a few things in order to do so. If we're going to consider one another and stir up love and good works, we need to observe, we need to consider, we need to formulate, and we need to communicate. Observe. Sometimes we're so self-centered. Why did they say that? Were they trying to say something about me? You know, they made a funny comment about people's hair. Were they trying to make a funny comment about my hair? Were well, they trying to make a funny comment about the way I dress? And everything that anybody says is filtered through the view of, how is this affecting me? What are they saying about me with what they're saying? How about we just be comfortable in who we are and just chill? Because God thinks we're awesome. And move our attention away from ourselves to the person that's speaking. Take a moment, look away from yourself, and look at the person that is currently speaking to you. Observe them. Consider 
Seek to understand what is going on in this situation. And this is where you can start to use your spiritual gifts, the discerning of spirits. What kind of a spirit is this person bringing? Are they trying to get from me praise so that they can go away feeling good about themselves? Am I trying to withhold praise because I don't want to love somebody that is imperfect? Check your heart. Ask God for wisdom on where they're coming from. Am I trying to be an edifier? Or am I being jealous and angry about what this person is doing? Because that moment of consideration flows into the next piece, formulating your words. Choose your words carefully. That's what we've been talking about this whole series. Choose your words carefully. Because oftentimes we mean to say one thing. We mean to say, you know what, you, just today you're looking really good. But then we come over and say, today you're looking better than usual. <laughs> what, what? That was, a, that was a compliment. What's going on? Why are you all mad? What's going on? That's often the way that it comes out when we, when we fail to formulate. Because think about, are we going to affirm? Are we going to build up? Are we going to say something that hasn't ha- doesn't have a negative connotation attached? You look great today. Boom. Smile. Laugh. Feeling great. That person is affirmed. And when you get to that place of communicating, seek their edification. Seek to build them up. Seek to stir up love and good works. You can start with, you look nice today. But if you've been friends for three or four months or even years and you're still coming out with, you look nice today, (laughs) you're getting lazy. Try and be a bit more thoughtful. You know what? When you um, took the time to call me and ask me me how my family was doing after everything's gone bad and, you know, no one else has bothered to follow up on that. You took the time to phone up and just say, how's it going with the family? Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? You know what? I really appreciate that. You know, you've got such a gift of encouragement. Have you ever thought about how you can encourage other people the same way? See, that was encouragement right there. Because not only have you recognized somebody's thoughtfulness about you and taken the time and considered and formulated and given, communicated a response, but you've actually released them into a new direction. You know what? You are such a blessing to me. Have you ever thought how you could also bless so many other people? Encouragement, affirming your current success in order to release you into your full potential. Sometimes we need to understand that this has to happen in a certain dynamic. See, for me to stand in front of all of the, stu- all of the service today and say that our stewarding team and our welcome team and all of the volunteers and the paid staff here in Kensington Temple are awesome. What is that? That's praise. That they think they feel good because they are doing a great job and they are so appreciated and we really, really do value them. That's praise. That's recognition for what they've done at the moment. But if I was to pull one aside, if I was to pull, say, Matt aside and say, Matt, you know, the way that you're smiling at people today, you're really making them feel welcome to the service. He's going to go back and think, well, how else can I bring something more to the service? How else can I bring my best game to this environment to bring out life in other people? See, that's releasing on an individual basis his ownership or his next level of responsibility through encouragement and affirmation. Because we all need life spoken over us. Just to summarize, I want to share a story with you that all of us know. A murderer. A man that was violent. A man that blasphemed God. 
a man that swore at Christians, a man that ripped apart Christian families, a man that destroyed homes, a man full of hate, full of anger, full of anguish, thinking he's doing the right thing by God, gets radically saved, radically transformed. But because of what he was, nobody wants to hang out with him today. And yet there's one man in Scripture. His name is Barnabas. Now there was, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. The man Barnabas gave up his whole life in order to become an encourager, in order to serve in the kingdom of God as somebody who recognized capacity and gifts that God had placed in different people. Now, it's this Barnabas that goes to find the man that I was just telling you about, who we all know well, Saul. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled the church and taught a great many people and the disciples who were first called Christians in Antioch. See, this man who had blasphemed God was out on his own. Yet the son of encouragement, Barnabas, comes and finds him, brings him in. If Barnabas hadn't done that, Paul would have remained out on his own. Paul would have had no access. Paul would have had no way to come and present to the church what God had put in his heart. See, Paul was concerned about doing things right. He came oftentimes to the council of Jerusalem to check with them that he had been teaching the right doctrine. He was concerned about spiritual authority, but he would have had no access without the son of encouragement. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away, and Paul and Barnabas go off on the first of three journeys to transform the whole of the Middle East. See, encouragement can take the worst of us and make us into the people that God is calling us to be. Your capacity to encourage can take the person who is broken, who deserves it least in our worldly estimation. But because you see something different, because you want to be an encourager, because you're identifying the works of God in their life, you have the capacity to release that person's destiny in them. God is calling you to be a people of encouragement. God is calling you to speak life into people. God is calling you to start to transform this barren land that is devoid of love and affirmation into a place where sons and daughters flourish because they connect with their father through you, because they see who they are through you and the revelation of the father that you bring to them, because they understand how much they're loved and valued, because you take the time to consider, observe, formulate your words, and communicate to them just what God thinks about them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house this afternoon. And Lord, we thank you that you've put something in each and every person here. You've put something of glory in them because that glory brings you glory. 
Lord, we ask, Father, that you transform something in our hearts. You'd cause us to be a people that start to see differently and speak into people's lives, words which affirm the character of Christ in them. And Lord, that we would begin to shake off the orphan nature, shake off this barren sense and step into a spirit of sonship as we allow those words to wash over us and bring us into the fullness of who who you're calling us to be. And Lord, we ask, Father, take our mouths, sanctify our mouths, and cause us to be people that speak life, that a transformation would happen right across this city, that when people come into contact with these Christians here, they would know that they have met with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.